Hello and welcome to the Bayside Sermon Series Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth, Media and Technical Director here at Bayside. This week we are discussing with Pastor Dave Ritter, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, when a woman goes to church. Thank you for joining in our conversation today. All right, welcome back to the podcast. This week we are with Pastor Dave discussing when a woman goes to church. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. And uh, Pastor Dave and I have talked, and we're going to do things a little differently. Uh, we're going to kind of bypass the discussion points and handle some of the congregational questions, because this is a, a, a topic that we mm-hmm. don't want people to not understand where we are on this. And, you know, when we deal with women and, and topics of how they relate in church, our congregation is, what, over 50% women? Yeah, we're we probably have a greater percentage of men in our congregation than a lot of churches do. I think a lot of churches you'd find are 75, 80% women. Uh besides probably closer to 50-50, but tilting toward toward women, yeah. So when when you're dealing with close to half of your church congregation, <clears throat> we need to make sure that we do our due diligence and uh explain things as best as we can. All right. So, one of the questions that came from the congregation brings up the point that uh, the godliness over glamour, and this is this is a, a very difficult topic. Uh, it's something that we hear from a lot of somewhat toxic cultures of of men from the pulpit talking about how beautiful you know, not just saying that they have attractive wives. But they have to overemphasize and say they have a smoking hot wife or, or saying things like that. Uh, in my previous role, uh, we would have youth pastors that would do chapel services and come in and talk to high schoolers and middle schoolers and bring pictures of their families and, and do a similar thing, uh, which in a backwards kind of way, body shames the teenage girls that are already having problems with their identity in Christ uh, as they talk about their, their smoking hot wives. Uh, so to your point... How would you respond to the not uncommon practice of pastors talking about their smoking hot wives uh, from the pulpit or the not uncommon teaching in evangelical circles, especially at mar- marriage conferences, that married women have a responsibility to maintain themselves in a way that keeps their husband uh, lest they stray? Basically, you need to keep yourself beautiful or else he's going to find someone else. Yeah, so the the point in the sermon that this is speaking to is uh, where Paul talks about how when women come to church that they should dress modestly and not be so concerned with uh, things like braided hair and golden pearls and expensive uh, attire. And um, what I was emphasizing in the emphasizing the sermon was that that what Paul is saying is what we need to care about when women come to church is not how gorgeous they are, but how godly they are. That's, that's the emphasis. So rather than emphasizing, you know, glamour and judging women by, you know, how perfect their hair is or how clear their complexion or whether they're wearing the right designer labels or how well they fit in their jeans, what we need to care about in in a healthy church is, um, you know, are, are women 
finding their identity and who they are in Christ. Do they, do they realize uh, what Christ has done for them, not only to deliver them from judgment, but to enable them to walk by God's grace in newness of life, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so Paul emphasizes, uh, you know, the godliness of women displayed in good works uh, instead of glamour. Now, to your point about pastors making comments about smoking hot wives or whatever, I am totally against that because I think it, it's doing the exact opposite of what Paul is talking about here. And it's putting, it's putting the emphasis back on, on the looks, on the glamour, on can you turn heads. And, uh, and you know, I, I think what Paul is trying to do here is to say, look, I, I, you need to be able to come to church without the pressure of trying to measure up to some ideal that the world holds out for women. Um, we want you to be able to come here knowing that uh, what, what we care about is not whether you're smoking hot or, or any of those other things, but whether, whether you're growing in Christ. Um, and yeah, it's true in, in some evangelical subcultures, you go to marriage conferences and there's going to be the emphasis on a wife looking good for her husband. Now, you know, I think there's a balance there, obviously. Um, you know, the, the, we all, men and women, should be exhorted to take care of ourselves and, and uh, uh, you, you know, care about our health and fitness and hygiene and all those things. But to kind of hold that out to women as a threat to say, you know, if you're not looking, uh, you know, beauty model gorgeous, then your husband just might leave you. I think that's that's really sending a wrong message. Right, and I think we'll eventually get to a, a, the verse I want to talk about here that helps that. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul gives the instruction in verse 20, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself for what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use and set apart as holy, useful for the master's house, ready for every good work. So Paul is saying there are gold vessels that can be used for unclean purposes or dishonorable purposes. And then there's wooden clay vessels that can be used for honorable. It's it's how it, it's like what Jesus says, you're whitewashed tombs. It doesn't matter what you put into yourself. It, what's what comes out yeah, I think that's that's essentially what Paul is saying here. What's what's going on on the inside is more important than what you're displaying on the outside. All right, the second question from the congregation for today. In the sermon, it was specifically mentioned that the role of pastor-elder with respect to Sunday morning preaching during corporate gatherings as falling under the heading of exercising authority over or teaching men. What else falls under this umbrella? Is there a, a limit to uh, other small groups or when we have uh, youth meetings or when we have conferences? We had a marriage conference come in and it was uh, there's husband and wives there. Mixed gatherings. Where, where does this fall under? Well, I, I think that the distinction I was making is that the pulpit ministry is of a very different sort than almost any other teaching that takes place in the church in that 
this is where you have the pastor slash elder and and when I when I speak on a Sunday morning, I'm not speaking only my own authority. I'm representing, you know, the whole the whole um, body of elders of Bayside, for instance. In the message that I just gave on the role of women in the church, that's that's an issue that the elders as a whole studied very very carefully, and came to uh, a, the conclusion that I basically presented on Sunday. Uh, so I, I think that. The way we look at it is that um, that is that is a place where the the spiritual authority of the elders is uniquely expressed, and and that's why um, pastor elders need to occupy uh, that role in in the pulpit. Um, now, as far as other situations, um, you know. A, a, couple coming in to do marriage conference, we don't, we don't view that as having a thus saith the Lord kind of authority. Uh, you know, here are some people teaching uh, and facilitating conversations. Um, similarly, in, even in an in adult class, uh, there might be a woman facilitating the class. That's more of the nature of, of facilitating, uh, you know, discussions where people are going to interact and, and uh, share their points of view. Um, you know, when women teach youth and women teach children, there's no issue with that because it's not violating the, uh, the, 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 um, uh, point that women should not exercise pastoral authority over men. Uh, so that leaves, that leaves, uh, you know, the opportunities for women pretty wide open uh, in terms of where they can where they can teach or facilitate discussion groups or um, you know teach children teach youth uh, and uh, you know we've had we've had uh, conferences here where a presenter talked about her experience of, as a survivor of, of sexual abuse well you know that was again done uh, as a Saturday conference and not not as the Sunday morning sermon. Uh, so we're, I think it might be a fine line to draw, but I, th I think what we're saying is that it's pretty obvious here at Bayside anyway. It may not be that, that way at other churches, but it's pretty obvious at Bayside that, that when the pastor is in the pulpit on Sunday morning uh, opening the Word of God, it has a kind of a uh, thus saith the Lord kind of authority to it. And um, Paul is Paul is basically saying, I don't want to put a woman in in that in that place where where she's exercising authority uh, over the men who are present. And you know the the interesting thing is I'm going to kind of go off from the questions here a little bit because it's a question I've been asked on the side. Um, you know who's who's to say that that was only true for. Ephesus, or only true for the first century, do we still have to abide by that today? And the arguments uh, will be made for saying that well, women can be elders, women can be pastors, women can be preachers in in you know in a mixed uh, audience like we have on Sunday morning. And the argument will be made that oh well, that was just particular to the situation at, at Ephesus because um, Ephesus had a whole bunch of women who were acting up. 
Well, Paul doesn't say that. And in fact, in other places, he said, this is my instruction for all the churches. Um, and there's another argument that's made that, well, you know, in Galatians 3, Paul says, there, in Christ there is no male nor female. So therefore, women and men are alike in every respect, even with respect to their roles in the church. Well, the same Paul who wrote that in Galatians 3 later wrote First Timothy 2, where he very clearly describes differing roles for men and women in the church. And none of it is tied to culture. None of it is tied to the specific situation in, in Ephesus. The rationale that's given is this is the order of creation. It goes back to Adam and Eve. Um, so you'll, you'll have, you have people trying to make the argument that these things no longer apply to us because they were culturally bound. But that's, that's not the grounding of it in, in 1 Timothy 2. It's, it's actually, um, you know, the, the structure that God intends for the family and the structure that God intends for the church, that, that these are two institutions that need um, men to step up and lead. So then would you exclude uh, a woman reading passages from the Bible as, as something that is exerting authority over? No. No, you know we have we have women leading worship. That's that that's that's you know kind of we, we view that more as facilitating, uh, not as exercising spiritual authority. So uh, you know we traditionally here at Bayside have had women do all kinds of things, uh, lead in prayer, read scripture, um, exhort people to join in worship, uh, <laughs> do the announcements. I mean, it's not those those things aren't exclusively. Uh, you know, the, the province of the pastor. Uh, but but if, if it's a matter of exercising spiritual authority by, by declaring God's word, uh, and, and um, you know, it's a mixed audience on Sunday morning, I think this is where, where Paul's point applies. I do not permit women to teach or exercise authority over men. Okay. Uh, the next question uh, in the sermon... <clears throat> It was outlined that the consequences of women leading can be lazy men and spiritually complacency among children. Uh, you mentioned that uh, many women have been marginalized in churches, and indeed marginalization is not limited to churches who take a view of male headship, but it is worse than that than just marginalization in some places. The cases of uh, abuses against women in churches with male leadership or those that are more of an egalitarian, it's the same that there's there's abuse on on all sides. And if male headship is the God ordained design for our churches, how do we here at Bayside protect women, uh, keeping in mind that the greatest threat to women is often men? And what kind of accountability structures do we have in place? Uh, and if a woman feels marginalized or is being harmed in some way. How does she get help here at Bayside? Yeah, uh, let, let me define a couple of terms that you used. Okay. Uh, egalitarian, complementarian. Those are two terms that are often thrown around. Uh, complementarian churches are churches like Bayside, where, where we say that men and women are equal before God, but have different roles, that, roles that complement each other. Um, uh, egalitarians would say that men and women are equal before God in every respect, including roles, that women can occupy the same roles as men and vice versa. 
Um, and it's true that in many churches that are complementarian, uh, that's almost taken as licensed to treat women horribly. Um, I, I think in either case, whether it's egalitarians who, who are treating women horribly or complementarians who are treating women horribly, at root, it's the same issue, and that is that you've got men who, who, aren't, who aren't following the example of Christ. Um, you know, and, and as I said in the sermon on Sunday, that's why the qualifications of eldership are so important. And they come the very next thing in, in Timothy are the qualifications of elders, and we're going to talk about that next week. Why are those qualifications so important? Because those are, the, those are the things, if you look for men who truly exhibit Christ-like character and, and are being held to that standard and, and uh, the bar is being set high, I think it minimizes the chances of, of the kind of abuses that you're talking about. Um, I think what you want in a church is leadership who are going to treat women a lot the same way Jesus treated women. And, um, uh, you know, that's a function of godly character. So, so when, you see, when you see places, whether egalitarian or complementarian, where women are being mistreated, that says to me that you've got, you've got a, a bigger leadership problem where you've got leaders who either are not qualified or leaders who are, who are out of step with the Lord. And um, here, here at Bayside, I think there's a mutual accountability among elders. That's the beauty of, of our, our elder team, is that there are four of us who are uh, pastors, who are basically full-time elders, and then you've got nine other men who are, who are elders but who uh, have other occupations. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a mutual accountability there. Um, we, we talk frequently about what our role is, that we're not just a corporate board. We are shepherds of a flock, and it's our job to care for the flock and feed the flock and protect the flock and lead the flock. And um, so I think, I think part of what helps build a respectful ethos toward women at Bayside is that you've got elders who are, who are A, qualified according to biblical qualifications, but B, focused on, on their task as shepherds serving the flock and not lording authority over the flock. And, and uh, if a woman at Bayside ever felt like she was being mistreated or um, um, harassed in any way, uh, I, I, my hope is that there would be enough uh, confidence in in the, the leaders of the church that she could find an elder, find a pastor and say, here's, here's what's going on. And, um, and I can, I, I can almost guarantee, I, I won't say I can guarantee, but I can almost guarantee that that concern is going to be heard and is going to be, uh, you know, addressed appropriately. Um, and there have been, even recently, a number of situations that have come to our attention where we have, we have gone to men and said, look, what's happening here isn't right. What are some ways that Bayside identifies and helps cultivate the gifts of its women members? Well, I think we, we, uh, 
we do that the same way we do with with men as well. And that is, um, you know, as people step forward to become involved in ministry, um, you know, we observe what they do, how they do, um, what they seem to be gifted at. Uh, conversations take place with appropriate staff uh, to say, hey, have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing that? Or somebody might come to a, pa- a pastor and say, hey, I'm thinking about leading a small group, or I'd, I'd like to teach a class, and, and the conversation might ensue about, okay, well, what experience have you had doing that? And, and uh, you know, how about we try you out here first? Uh, and uh, so, so there's, I think, there, it's, it's kind of an individualized thing. But at the same time, when it comes to women who are really aspiring to step up in ministry in bigger ways, uh, it's not uncommon. For instance, when I've, I've taught classes or led groups that were oriented in that direction, for women to have been part of that process. So, for instance, um, when I recently taught a transformational leadership group, um, it wasn't just men who were in there. There were women, too. And, uh, you know, along the way, um, it can spark some conversations about opportunities to step into greater leadership in some aspect of our ministry. Uh, a few years back, I guess it was just before COVID, I, I led a group called Call to Ministry. And it was for anybody who who was wondering about whether God might be calling them uh, deeper into ministry, either vocational or otherwise. And um, probably a third of the, the people in that class were women. And it was just an opportunity to explore what, what God might be saying, um, you know, to you in your life. Um, uh, you know, how, how might he be, how might he have gifted you and where might he be? want to use you and and how can we help open doors for you uh, so um, yeah I think I think the opportunities are, are there it's and it's uh, it's really no different for women than for men so if a woman comes to Bayside after years uh, in a harsh misogynistic church what advice would you give her to find healing and peace do we have an outreach for that no, there isn't an outreach specifically for that. Uh, it's kind of a, a niche um, that, you know, if we were to offer a group for that, would we have, have enough people to populate it at any given time? I don't know. But uh, very often when people come here and we start to get to know them, they will volunteer the fact that I was really wounded in my last church. And, and that might lead to conversations that could go in a number of different directions. One one recommendation we might make is, hey, we understand you've been burned. You know, just come and, and heal up for a while. Just soak soak it up. Uh, don't don't feel like you have to jump in with both feet. Just just come, and and heal. And when you're ready to take the next step, let us know. Because I think a lot of what has to happen in the church is that, especially if you've been burned by church leadership in a previous church, you've got to you got to kind of observe for a while to to say, can I really trust? these leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get burned again. So yeah. we, we understand that and, and we want to give people space to do that. And by the way, we have men who are in that same situation who've been burned in, in uh, you know, uh, bad situations in other churches who, who need that kind of decompressed time. I, I think the other thing that we have available is, uh, is counseling um, for, for people who maybe want to 
you know, process their trauma a little more, uh, not aggressively, but more directly. Uh, Pastor Joe is, is really gifted in, in this kind of counseling. He's, he, he just really has a, a, a knack for helping people who have experienced some kind of life trauma to help them sort out, you know, who, who are you really, <laughs> right? You, you've kind of been led to believe by whatever trauma you've had in your life that you're like this that you're no good or you're not worthy. But what does God really have to say about who you are in Christ? And and I think that's a very kind of healing uh, process. Um, and then and then, you know, for people who are who are feeling burned and a little a little cautious, um, there there can also be uh, conversations down the road about you know, where do I fit? Where can I use my gifts to the full? Um, you know, and um, and so I, I kind of see it as a as, as a as a process. Come and come and heal. Um, maybe get some counseling, and then let's have some conversation about about uh, ways that you can serve and, and thrive in the gifts God has given you. You mentioned that there were at least four different views of verse fifteen of she shall be saved through childbearing. Do you have a moment to, to kind of walk us through some of those other thoughts on those? Yeah, so it, this is a really problematic uh, saying of Paul, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, when it talks about women being saved through childbearing, uh, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, you know, the most naive reading of it is to say that you know, if you're really going to be saved, you're going to have to have children. Right. That That is the woman's highest purpose and calling. Right. And that, that is not what Jesus taught. No. And, and, and that's, I think there are probably some churches where that's going to get pushed. Yeah. Uh, that it's your, it's your job, woman. <laughs> it's part of, part of your salvation duty is to have babies. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's clearly not what it's saying here. Paul is, is crystal clear that we're not saved by works, not saved by bearing children. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. So that's the one that I think is most easily dismissed. Um, another view is to say, well, it's not that she'll be saved spiritually through childbearing, but that she'll be saved physically through her childbearing if she is in the faith. And, you know, that too is very spurious. I think that one's pretty easily dismissed because... Um, we know that there, there's no guarantee that a Christian woman is going to have any less complications in, mm. in childbearing than, than non-Christian women. It's, it's not to say that uh, women who are Christians will never die in childbirth um, any more than, than we would say that, uh, you know, God would never give a good Christian cancer. Um, so that's, that's highly unlikely. The third view, which I think has actually some merit to it, is the one that connects uh, childbearing to the curse in Genesis 3 and the promise it's made in Genesis 3. So Eve is implicated in man's fall into sin because she was deceived and gave the fruit to Adam and he ate, ate the fruit. Um, so, you know, Adam, you know, we're, we're tagged with Adam's sin. Eve was deceived. Adam, Adam, outright knowingly sinned. Uh, 
Yet Eve was complicit in that, and because of that, there her part of the curse, man's part of the curse was the the ground was going to bear thorns and thistles, and you're only going to be able to eat your bread by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to farm the land and fight the the, the weeds, and the woman's part of the curse is um, what's well, two parts actually. Your desire uh, shall be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you, and that's kind of the battle of the sexes that that got set up over. Over, uh, because of the fall. Um, and then there's uh, uh, you the pain in childbearing. Um, yet, God also says to Eve in the garden that one of the children who is born to you, to your offspring, will be the one who will crush the serpent's head. So, the idea is that Eve, as a childbearer, is going to bring children into the world, who bring children into the world, who bring children into the world, who bring children into the world. And somewhere down the line, one of those daughters of Eve is going to give birth to the Savior. And, and he's the one who will crush the head of the serpent. So that it's actually her ability to bear children that contributes to her and our salvation. I, I think that has some merit to it. Um, and, and whether, whether that's what Paul is saying here or not, I think it's something really important to think about. And this is kind of the point I was making in the third point of the sermon is that, that by saying this in verse 15, Paul is not, is not saying, oh, woman, you're cursed. He's saying rather, uh, no, don't, don't view your womanhood as a curse. View it as an opportunity, an opportunity to participate with God in his plan of salvation. Um, but then, but then he says in the end of that verse, uh, you'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. And I, I think that as I kind of looked at the four views, the one that I land on most strongly, I would kind of, I kind of sort of lean on both the third and fourth view. But the fourth view would say, um, uh, what you're being delivered from, what you're being saved from, is that sense of cursedness that came in the garden. Uh, because if you're in faith um, and you're growing in holiness and love and self-control, you're beginning to realize um, that, that in your womanhood, you're not doomed to, to, to live a cursed existence, but rather that God has a plan for you, a plan that, that redeems all of that uh, that took place there in the garden. And out of that it comes the opportunity for you as a woman in Christ to, to uh, be a woman of faith and holiness and love and self-control. And so um, whichever way you cut it, whether, whether the third way or the fourth way, and I kind of almost want to glom onto both of them because I think they both are, are really meaningful. I think what, what Paul is saying to women today is, you know, the world wants to tell you that you're at a disadvantage if you're a woman. You know, you're going to get held down. You're going to, you're not going to have advantages like a man. And you're, you're going to have, have to have babies. And if you, if the baby's going to be an inconvenience or hold you back from your career or whatever reason, you know, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to keep that baby. You can, you can get rid of it and you can be free like a man. 
And, and I think what verse 15 is saying is, no, no, no. Your woman has something beautiful, something good, um, something that, that God can take, even, even the parts that feel cursed, and he can redeem it and bring something beautiful out of that. And that's who, who you're becoming in Christ. And so I, I look at 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15, and I know it's a, it's a really hard passage. And, and yet, the way I, I think is helpful to look at it is to say that, you know, Paul is, is really saying the world, the world, and sometimes the church is going to put all kinds of weird pressure on you, you know, pressure to, to look smoking hot. And Paul says, let go of that pressure. This is a place where you're not going to be judged by your, your glamour, but rather uh, we're, we're, we're going to prize you for your godliness instead. Uh, the world's going to say, um, uh, you know, you gotta, you got to bear impossible burdens. And, and when, the, when things in the family aren't going right or things in the church aren't going to your liking, you've got to grab control. You've got to be in charge of it all. And so uh, women bear impossible burdens. Like in the home, when a, when a husband is abdicating his spiritual responsibility, and, and he's not leading the family in prayer. He's not helping the children know Jesus. And he's not encouraging everybody to get to church. And, and, a, and a godly wife is looking at that and, and says, then I've got to do it. And she takes the spiritual leadership on herself. And, and as I said in the sermon, typically what happens is you end up with a weak husband, uh, children who say, if dad doesn't go to church, why should I? And and the wife ends up being enormously frustrated. The whole family ends up being dechurched. So you end up with weak husbands, frustrated wives, and unbelieving children. And, and, and I think what Paul is saying is that's not what God wants for the Christian family. That's not what God wants for his church. He doesn't, he doesn't want women to bear the, the weight of the world because, as I said in the sermon, uh, many men will let women do whatever women volunteer to do. And, and so let the church be a place where you don't have to take that burden on yourself. God has ordained godly men to, to lead and, 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 and be in charge. And so here's a place where you can come and let somebody else feed you. You can be quiet. Let somebody else feed your soul. And, and, and let somebody else be accountable for a change. Um, and the world, the world says, you know, it, it, being a woman is a curse. And God says, no, no, no. The church is a place where we want you to understand that being a woman's not a curse. It's a it's a beautiful opportunity uh, to to manifest the you know the glories of Christ in you, um, faith, love, self control, and and uh, godliness. So I know I know First Timothy two is a passage that um, is is often preached in ways that will then become justification for men to say, see, we're in charge. You be subservient. Just shut up and, and you know, stand over on the side. Uh, uh, you know, here at Bayside, I, we, I think we want to approach this passage, as I said on Sunday, more as an invitation, an invitation to, to, to women to, um, to flourish. Uh, and, and, you know, and that implies then an exhortation for the men of the church to cherish 
uh, the women around them and and to encourage them and help them to flourish, not to hold them back. So that's where we're going next week with uh, our discussion of elders and what elders must be. Sounds good. All right. Well, that concludes our time today. Uh, we appreciate you, Pastor Dave, for spending this extra bit of time in conversation with us about this important passage. And we look forward to Sunday. Uh, read up at First Timothy chapter 3. And uh, thank you for joining us in our conversation today. Have a blessed week.